Hello and welcome to another episode of the Envisioneering Exchange, the podcast where industry leaders discuss the most important topics in building and urban efficiency. I'm your host, John Sheff, Dan Foss's Director of Public and Industry Affairs. Now you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Today's topic is automation in American manufacturing, and I am really excited to talk with Ted Wilkie. Ted is the vice president for Spock Automation, where he focuses on developing and implementing automation technologies for manufacturing, infrastructure, energy, and the oil and gas industry. Ted, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining us. Tell us a bit about yourself, Spock, and what you do there. Well, thank you, John. I'm really happy to be here, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk a little about this exciting topic for me. So um, I hope your listeners find a few things that are valuable for them as well. So I am a, a mechanical engineer by education. But I've worked in the electrical business for almost 30 years. And people think that's a weird combination, but really I think it's very natural. Motors account for about 40% of U.S. electrical consumption. And motors, of course, create mechanical motion from electricity. So I think that's a, a really natural fit. So at Spock, we're an innovation company. We focus on manufacturing efficiency and automation solutions using inverter technology and measurements in automation. We're committed to lifting up America and the industries within America and uh to exhibit that commitment, you know, last year, our customers saved over $400 million in electricity using our solutions. Yeah, I mean, this is such an important topic and one that's not too well understood here. When we talk about automation, you know, I mean, automation in American manufacturing, it's such an important topic. It gets a bit of a bad rap when we talk about automation and jobs and that sort of thing. But as an American manufacturer yourself, explain why it's more important than ever. Automation enables manufacturing. You know, it drives precision. Precision reduces variation, and variation is the enemy of quality. If you want something done, you want it done perfectly every time, and people are, by our very nature, imperfect. So automation really helps people become more efficient. It helps manufacturing be more efficient. It helps be more productive, and it also helps throughput. In a growing economy, we always need to make more product. We need to make more of what we do in, in a faster time, more efficiently, and automation helps us do that. Yeah. And it really is not about cutting jobs or cutting manufacturing jobs. And I find that to be a false choice, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Automation does not eliminate jobs. It does change the jobs and it redefines those job requirements, but it doesn't eliminate the jobs. It allows people to use cognitive thought instead of just turning a screwdriver. And we think about automation and, and what it brings to the U.S. and you think about what it takes away, perhaps. Can we create a robot that can weld? We can, but there's still room for welders and certainly they're needed. Really, automation is just an enabler of manufacturing. And without automation, we're not going to compete on a global scale. No, I definitely don't think so. And I mean, this is kind of where things are headed. But before we get into all that, let's back up for a minute. Explain what does automation look like in a modern American factory? So modern automation is really interesting. We think of automation as a chip machine that's placing a chip onto a board, but it's so much more than that. A modern American factory needs data. It measures that data. It grabs data from the plant floor. Those data help people make decisions that increase what productivity is. They help run supply chains. They help predict things in the future. It speeds and enables manufacturing. It helps us build things without waste. And by waste, I mean materials, space, process flows. It absolutely is the key thing that helps efficiency increase on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, you are a manufacturer, but you're also manufacturing components and equipment that go into other manufacturing facilities. And 
like you said, it's about precision and about doing things the same way over and over and over again without error. And it's really difficult to do that without this automation. Isn't that right? It is. The natural reality, it's hard to repeat the same process over and over and over again over an eight-hour day without thinking about something else, without the potential to make a mistake. And, and even past the perfect employee, it's hard to get the next perfect employee. I just think that's very, very difficult in a modern society to, to have this unlimited pool or assume there's an unlimited pool of people that are able to do a certain job perfectly every time. And there's training, there's the children that get sick. There's just an, a thousand things that can preclude us from doing the perfect job each and every time. And automation kind of helps us work past those issues. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the best employees, sometimes they go other places and it's hard to replace them. I mean, I know many, many companies have job openings right now that, that can't be filled just because the labor market's so tight. So to keep factories going and to keep production up, it's just vital that we innovate and we get to the most efficient process possible, I think. Absolutely. It's uh, certainly staffing and finding trained and skilled employees is a, a challenge that every manufacturer is facing. It's absolutely a challenge for us in our industry. It's a challenge at our customers. Most of our customers are hiring, we're hiring. Adding people and, and increasing your throughput is the hardest thing in business. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned competitiveness with overseas factories. Can American factories still be competitive with those overseas? Because we hear about this a lot and you know, losing competitiveness and losing jobs, but it's not just uh, black and white, is it? It isn't. If we think that American industries are going to compete with overseas factories by turning screws faster... I don't think that's a practical thing. If we think that we want to compete on low wages, I don't think that's a very good strategy, but I do think that we can out-innovate. I think we can outperform. I believe we can outthink our competitors overseas. And certainly when you look at supply chains and shortening supply chains, using domestic supplies, using domestic suppliers with close in inventory, you need to keep less capital around. You're more efficient. There's less transportation costs. There's all sorts of things that suddenly make a little bit at a time, make a big difference collectively. Yeah. Like we talked about in the beginning of this conversation, it really is such an important topic right now because we hear President Biden talking about creating domestic supply chains. We have this issue with semiconductors. We have this issue with critical minerals and everybody wants to create domestic supply chains. But what I think kind of gets lost in there is that automation is really the key to creating those domestic supply chains and helping our industries be competitive and maintain uh, global dominance by investing in America. It's not going to happen with employing as many people as we possibly can. No, the idea of trying to compete with China and build factories that have 20,000 workers in them doesn't really make any sense. Mm -hmm. You certainly would have an impossible time staffing it. You'd have logistical problems. You'd need millions and millions of square feet of space that really aren't doing things the most efficient way. There's a reason that they do things their way and there's a reason that we do things our way. And I do believe that we can be very competitive with even low-cost country manufacturing. Yeah. And I mean, it really is about the American worker at the end of the day, because they are the people that are going to be working in these jobs, that are going to be working in these automated factories and having to adapt to these new scenarios and really to new skills that we don't have yet. And so I do think that it's a mistake to kind of put it as an either or automation or American workers, because we need workers and we need American workers who really know how to operate in this new economy. Yeah, you positioned it as a false choice, and it is. We need automation, and workers enable the automation. One of the things that we've found to be incredibly successful at Spock is we convinced our employees, and we've pushed out that their opinions matter, what they see matters. And every employee in our company needs to be an innovator. 
And I think from a cultural standpoint, that's incredibly important. If you empower your employees, you get the best out of them. If you listen to them, they'll tell you what they think. If you don't listen, they'll never tell you. And I think that's a very dangerous thing. I think that's a cultural piece that we can do better as a country. And, and certainly we're trying really hard to do it well at Spock. We found great results. We have people bringing us things that make us more efficient, that save us money, that, that reduce errors every single day. And from a competitiveness standpoint, that helps us win. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, that's something that automated robots can't do. They can't think, they can't innovate, and they can't think of solutions on the spot. And I think it's a really good resource that you mentioned there, utilizing your workers to improve the processes. We talk a lot about this show about how the pandemic has affected businesses and industries, but has the pandemic affected manufacturing and a shift towards automation? I think we're just seeing the beginning of that. So if we think about last year and the very early spring or the late winter as before we'd shut down, we were at essentially full employment. Unemployment rate in the United States was from a 3% round numbers. We saw industries, of course, doing layoffs. There was probably a rush to laying off people and the government tried to institute programs to stop that. But certain markets were obviously very, very affected. One that's near and dear to us and at Spock Automation is the oil field. The oil field saw massive, massive reductions in personnel because the oil commodity price went down. And when the oil commodity price goes down, you see a reduction in capital spending. Fast forward a year, we're back to a position where it's hard to find skilled workers. Everybody that was laid off found a job somewhere else. So as we see a massive increase in GDP and in manufacturing activity, we're going to need to find better ways than just hiring another 300 people to get our output back to a growing and full output. Doing it with just more hands isn't effective. It won't work. Automation isn't optional. It's required. If we're going to grow output without adding space, factories, and people, we need automation. Yeah, and I think that's such an important concept. I mean, to me, it sounds like flexibility is really what you're talking about. And we've talked about HVAC in the time of pandemic and how buildings and commercial spaces are not going to be full all the time. The systems need to be able to ramp up and ramp down to meet demand. And that's basically what you're talking about is that when we go through these economic cycles, we can't just lay off a whole bunch of people and then expect to rehire them when the economy picks back up again and expect to get the same production and same skill out. We need to have more flexible manufacturing where we can ramp up and ramp down production to meet demand. And so we don't lose much when the economy kind of goes up and down unexpectedly. Absolutely. It's incredibly important. Again, back to both a couple of the big markets we play in the oil field, as well as the marine segment that supports offshore rigs and offshore equipment. When you see a reduction in activity in the short term, both those industries do tend to reduce headcounts. And I think that's a dangerous thing. When you lose skill, you have to replace it. You need flexibility and automation helps you maintain that flexibility and keeps really your people being more important than just someone who exists to do something that you could do a different way. Yeah. And it's just crazy in some of these industries, like you mentioned, like oil and gas or, or marine, where it's so capital intensive and the investments have been made years in advance to have to just lay off the skilled people who really understand how to work that equipment is dangerous, uh, especially when the economy is unpredictable. And like we've seen, it can really rebound very quickly and you're kind of out of luck trying to rehire people. It's almost impossible to rehire people. They find a different job somewhere else and, and they don't forget. When you tell them that you can't use them anymore, they can't come to work tomorrow, they find a different place to go to work. And those incredibly skilled people, and they all are, they're all skilled. That's why you had them on staff. Those skilled people, you need them. So it's not healthy for the economy. It's not healthy for companies. It's not healthy for the employees, certainly. 
Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that's a big part of it. And I think, you know, when we look at President Biden's infrastructure proposal and it's currently being negotiated, I don't think it's going to be in this huge $2.3 trillion package by the end of it. Seems like it's going to be cut up into pieces. But what have you seen in there that is really going to help American manufacturing? Well, I think there's a lot of things that are in it that could have the capability of helping American manufacturing. There's certain parts of it, of course, that are like motherhood and apple pie that everybody thinks are pretty good ideas, you know, repairing bridges and roads and, and things like that that just do need to be done. There's other things that really are less physical infrastructure um, that probably don't have a lot of opportunity for manufacturing to be involved in. But one that I think is really exciting, some of the ways that we're going to try to diversify the energy base, the electricity base in this country with regards to offshore wind if you look at some of the customers that we deal with and the industries that we deal with, over 90 million people live near the coast of the United States. And certainly we don't want to do anything that jeopardizes the air and water purity that, that we enjoy in this country. People may think that the United States has dirty air and dirty water. And perhaps compared to how it used to be hundreds of years ago, that certainly that might be true. But compared to many places, we do enjoy a good quality of life. We want to have cleaner water and air, certainly. That's always a noble a noble aspiration. And I think there are some things that will help it. So talking about supporting some of those offshore wind farms, some of the current companies in the marine segment that service offshore oil rigs, those same companies are going to have new customers, new clients they're building boats for. And we're going to see a massive impact to their industries on really new segments of offshore wind support vessels and marine electrification with emissions reductions that are showing huge, huge decreases of diesel burn. You know, those boats are all powered by diesel. We've all driven behind a dump truck and a garbage truck and everything else and seen what diesel looks like. When you think about boats, I can tell you that the boats aren't a lot better than what we see for on-road vehicles. And the opportunity to really clean up those boats and create new technologies, save burning diesel by about 40% is the number we've seen through hybrid boats, it's good for business. It's for good for those that live on the coast. And it really, it furthers what I think a very, very common thing. Although people may say that green is a government thing. It's, it's not. I think that any of us that enjoy hunting or fishing or being outdoors appreciate what green buys us. Oh, absolutely. So there was a lot there. Let's unpack it a little bit. It's just so interesting that, you know, Spock has a deep history with the oil and gas business, but you're really talking about those same customers turning around and being involved in offshore wind production and ramping up that industry. So it, it really is not one or the other. It really is the same players using their expertise that they developed doing offshore drilling to do offshore wind and becoming more efficient. And like you said, cleaning up the air and water and producing green electricity. You know, the other thing is, like you mentioned, the hybrid marine technology. We uh, know a little bit about this at Danfoss, and it really is such an interesting technology and not only helps reduce emissions, but saves a ton of money for these marine customers. Absolutely. It's not just around regulatory compliance. It's about being an environmental steward. It's about being a good corporate citizen. And really, it's about being responsible for your shareholders. Your shareholders expect you to run your business the most efficient way from a capital intensity standpoint that you can. And spending more money on diesel doesn't benefit anyone. If you can make a capital investment in a technology that just financially works, you should. And I think that we're seeing that in the marine systems business already. It's a very exciting time, and I think that is a business that is fundamentally going to be transformed as a result of some of the legislation that's going to pass through Washington in the next six months to a year. 
Yeah. And so I think companies like Spock are so well positioned with your expertise in one field, moving it to another and really helping your customers adapt to new legislation, but also to all the money that's going to be out there for these projects and really taking advantage of the economic aspects too. It's a great business opportunity. It's one of those transformational times. We don't see all that many transformational times in, in manufacturing, but I definitely think this is one of them and we're excited about it. So we talked a bit about the infrastructure package, but aside from stimulus, I mean, what are some of the policies we as a government should be pursuing to promote and encourage a reshoring of manufacturing? Well, there certainly is a, there's a lot there. I'm not an expert on policy, but I think that most people would agree that we need to make sure that American industries are able to be competitive with those that are overseas from a, a regulatory environment, from a taxation environment. We need to make sure that we're not punishing are companies that really create massive amounts of very, very high quality jobs that, you know, the American manufacturing created the middle class in this country. And I think there needs to be a recognition of that. That doesn't mean that they get a hall pass or a free lunch. I don't think anybody should get that. But I think that from a regulatory environment, I think that protecting manufacturers in the United States from a um, government seeds, there's a lot of things that are done and allow innovation and new technologies to be developed. Those are excellent things, making sure that there's always a public interest in that. There really is. And I, you know, my prior employer, we, we did lots of those projects where there were small kind of seed invention projects for the U.S. government based on a, a public interest, but also from, of course, uh, the important taxation, making sure that enforcing intellectual property mm, absolutely rules, those are just the basic kind of blocking and tackling things we need to make sure we're doing well. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think it's any one policy that's going to help American manufacturers reshore and bring manufacturing back. But I do think that, like we talked about uh, a few minutes ago, it's just really about connecting the dots. If we want to have domestic supply chains for critical components and materials, then we need to stop giving automation this bad rap and, and start encouraging it. Because that's the only way that these industries are going to come back in any real sense is if we can innovate our way out of it and do things better than some of these low-cost alternatives. Yeah. Innovation and efficiency are the key. I think back to one of the policies that George Bush signed when he was president in 2000, I can't remember if it was 2005 or 2006, the EPACT, which legislated high efficiency motors. And, and that may seem like a really kind of boring piece of legislation, but it decreased electric costs for manufacturers when they were buying electric motors from an operational standpoint, the electrical efficiency by a couple percent. And I said that 40% of U.S. electrical consumption is electric motors. So you start thinking about little things like that that just kind of point industry the right way that really encourage us to make the right decision and, frankly, that increase competition in technologies that we really should be be working on anyway because it's no longer a premium product now. The, the high-efficiency motor became the, the de facto standard and everybody was competing on price on that now instead of saying, hey, this was a premium product and you have to pay a big premium for it. I think there are little things like that that can always nudge us and, and help our manufacturing be more efficient and more effective reducing operational costs. I'm sure, believe me, we could do a whole show about motors and how there's so much low-hanging fruit there for energy savings, for economic savings. And I think we're going to see more moving from the motor to the motor drive system and trying to get the most out of that now because of the motors. Like you mentioned, the motors are so efficient. They are. The motor drive piece is still an evolving piece and we see opportunities and certainly with our customers on how we can continue to reduce their operating costs, reduce their electrical costs. And it's always important to say in the context of some of what the proposals that are out there for in, in reducing carbon emissions and, and proposing new green energy products, 
it's always easier to save electricity than it is to make new green electricity. So I, I think that that's a, something we should all keep in front of mind when we're looking at a, some of the policies and some of the activities that manufacturers have in front of them. Yeah. Energy efficiency is the first fuel. We believe that at Danfoss for sure. So finally here, as we, we kind of wrap up, how do you see American manufacturing evolving over the next five, 10 years? And also how is Spock preparing for this, both as a manufacturer itself, but also as a manufacturer of automation products? Well, John, it's important. I think that, you know, at risk of repeating myself, I think that an increased focus on automation and manufacturing efficiency is going to be critical. You know, energy efficiency has to be key. It's a huge portion of our costs of industry. The United States cannot compete on labor costs. We don't want to. We will probably not be a low cost country. We need to work smarter to be globally competitive. And we're working on all sorts of really neat projects at Spock from a manufacturing standpoint. We're changing our test procedures to be fully, completely automated. So there's really the only thing the person does is hook it up and look at the results to see if it passed, as opposed to paying people to check things point by point. There's two people, which you look at that and say, well, that's a cost savings opportunity. It's far more important than that. It speeds it up. It allows us a more comprehensive test procedure. We think it's better for our customer because we were able to sort every piece of data and store every piece of data, and there's no longer manual checklists. I think that activities like that are are going to be more and more important. That's a tiny example of one, but I think that's really not one particular thing, John. I think it's a thousand little things that are going to continue to help us grow as a country. I really don't believe it's one particular magic bullet. So we just need to focus on doing the right things, on paying attention, on sweating the details, all the things, what you really want your employees to do. It's exactly what you want your staff and your people to be focused on is innovation in saying, why do we do this? Can we do it better? How do we do it more efficiently? Do we need to do this? Is there a better way? Yeah, I think you're so right. And I love what you mentioned a few minutes ago about your company culture and trying to instill that. And I think that's so important. And I hope more companies can kind of adopt that too and incorporate that mindset into their everyday lives. Yeah, absolutely. We think it's powerful. It engages our employees. It gives them a reason to enjoy coming to work. There's a whole bunch of reasons that people enjoy coming to work, but the feeling that you made a difference today is a big one. And we think that every employee should go home feeling like that they made a difference today. Absolutely. Well, I think that's as good a place as I need to end. Thanks, Ted, for a great talk. And that's it for this episode of the Visionary Exchange. Again, I'd like to thank Ted Wilkie of Spock Automation for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe to the Envisioneering Exchange on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you listen to your podcast. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate, review, and share with your network. Thanks again for listening. My name is John Sheff, Director of Public and Industry Affairs for Danfoss. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast is for information purposes only. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Envisioneering Exchange podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and not necessarily represent those of Danfoss LLC and its employees. Danfoss LLC is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening on this site. This podcast series does not constitute professional advice or services. This podcast, including Danfoss LLC and the producers, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects of information contained herein. Opinions 
exclusive guests are their own, and Dan Foss LLC in this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about the guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Envisioneering Exchange podcast site assume no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast or for use of this podcast in connection with any other website, computer, or playing device.